Kia ora and welcome to this episode of The Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate, 100% carbon neutral. Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products and if you're one of our Aussie listeners then you've probably seen them in your quality barber shop. I've used the pomade and their matte clay paste to style what hair I have left and their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout. That's lowercase S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R. Look good and support yet another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGROAR. Kia ora and welcome to episode 140. I'm absolutely honoured to have Robbie Kroger on this episode of the STAGROAR. Robbie is from Blood Origins, and you will have seen them recently being talked about by our friend Cam Henderson on The Hunter's Journal. Cam has filmed the recent episode of Blood Origins, which is called Dreamtime, about an epic hunt in the Northern Territory looking for Asiatic buffalo, which is just absolutely fantastic. So super stoked to get a little bit of time to sit down with Robbie. Pretty hilarious. We got into it and then all of a sudden a termite infestation started off they were flapping around so if you hear Robbie clapping uh, that's him catching termites mid-air pretty amazing the joys of the Mississippi anyway uh, make sure you check out the links to Modern Pirate the Stagroar hats are going to be out until Monday the 11th of May that's the same day Auntie Cindy lets us know we can all go hunting again Fingers crossed, and get back to work in my case. Um, also, uh, yeah, make sure you reach out to Robbie, reach out to myself if you enjoyed it, enjoyed this, if you've got any thoughts. And I'm sure Robbie would also love to hear your story. He's, as you'd probably work out, he's massively keen on story, where everybody's origins start when it comes to going hunting, and where that thing of hunting in your blood shows up. Without further ado, let's enjoy episode 140 with the pleasure of this new recording microphone, which is so awesome to use. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear, hear your feedback on that as well. Cheers. Kia ora, everyone. What an absolute honor. Um, this is quite significant because I've just got this microphone and it's episode 140 and I'm talking with the legend and us in New Zealand have just been reintroduced to Robbie Kroger. That's right, eh, Kroger? Kroger, just like the supermarket here in America. But yeah, Kroger's perfect. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> um, we've just been reintroduced to Robbie through Dreamtime with the help of Cam Henderson. Mate, well, that's, that's as good a place to start as anyone. Should we start with Cam Henderson? Oh, I th- Can we start there? <laughs> yeah. It need, it needs a 21-year-old bugger, a 21-year-old bugger who drives me up the wall. Like he is the, if you take one end of the spectrum of personality types and put it against the other spectrum of personality types, I'm on this spectrum, right? I am a type personality. I'm a go, 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 go. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I go until nine o'clock at night. Cam Henderson rolls out of bed at 7.25 and we're supposed to be on the Jeep at 7.30. And he's like, oh, I, got, I got to have a dark first. And I'm like, dude, you got to, you got to get going. And he's just, 
you know, he's a, he's a, just a, you know, he's laid back and he just, he, he, he graded my last nerve, but it's a love hate relationship because the boy is so talented and he is just, you saw it. Dream time is, you know, he shot it. He edited it. We, I produced it for him, but magic, right? Yeah. So one of the outtake scenes that you chucked up on yours and his Instagram was him grabbing your hand. And um, when we finished up our, our podcast around episode 92, or it's in the 90s anyway, we're sort of hanging up. I've got those same glasses, actually. Um, we're hanging up, and then Cam, cheekily recording on his Instagram, goes to me, I love you, bro, and then record, hits record when I say, I love you too, bro, and straight away, straight away on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. The love-hate, like, he brings a lot of love to the table, doesn't he, old, old Cam? <laughs> so he was forever trying to kiss me. <laughs> and uh, it's forever trying to kiss me. And then that scene where I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm just relaxing because it's about an hour drive. And the boy just like, and he purposely had the camera out. He put his hand on my hand and I'm like, what are you doing? And he just filmed the entire thing. <laughs> Jeez. Jeepers. So how did you, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, get introduced to our um, Hunter's Journal legend? Yeah, so I will say this. I think that Cam Henderson is probably one of the best cinematographers that you guys have in the Southern Hemisphere. There's no no doubt about it. And from a Blood Origins project perspective, I'm interested in, in creating essentially a stable of young studs, like mm-hmm. the guys that are Google University trained, right? They have an eye, they know what they want, they know how to shoot it, and they shoot it differently. Cam Henderson's one of them. The guy who started with me here in America, Drew Seals, who just started a new company called Nomad Collective. Legendary. Cam Henderson type stuff, you know, the slots media boys out of the UK, young guns. And so I met Cam, gosh, he was going to Mongolia to film Pedro's Ibex. And somehow we started talking. I don't know why. I think um, it was because we put Blood Origins into the first volume of, of Hunter's Journal, actually our story of what Blood Origins is. And we started talking then. And, you know, he, he finished that hunt. And for the first time, we just Instagram. And I didn't know this, but Instagram has a, a video platform through its Instagram message. Mm. And... Um, we had a, a really cool video chat whilst he was sitting in, I don't know, Beijing airport or something like that, waiting to get home. And he was about a half a bottle of bourbon deep already at that point. Um, so, he, so he didn't learn his lesson on the way in. There, yeah. No, that's that's a, great, a great story on his interview with the educated hunter is his, his story on the way into Mongolia. Um, if you've got a spare hour, go, go tune into the educated hunter guys and listen to, Cam's inbound story. So his outbound story was not much different. <laughs> well, that story is the epitome of Cam Henderson. <laughs> You're flying to a country that probably frowns on alcohol use that you've never flown into before. And for the majority of us, we'd be like, all right, we need to make sure our P's and Q's are correct. You know, we're just going to be perfect. And the boy gets blotto drunk. Who does that? Cam. 
Cam Henderson. Yeah, no. One, one more story, get him under the bus because he deserves it. Um, the Seeker Show, I'm sure you've picked up, he's a big fan of Fireball, that, that cinnamon drink. And um, Seeker Show, he managed to work that out at about two in the afternoon. So there's a few people with big smiles on their face for the latter part of, of the first day and then uh, big frowns on their face and, and trying to find um, places under the desk on the Sunday. That was for sure. <laughs> Well, he brought a, a bottle of Fireball to obviously, well, I don't know if he brought it or we bought it or whatnot to the Dreamtime Hunt. And it was actually pretty good to have right in the middle of freaking nowhere, probably yeah. in a place where no white man has been before, which is the mm. whole point of our journey. And we had a, a bunch of Fireball around the, around the table. And there's a picture, there's a, a couple of pictures of us, obviously, that Cam took that night that are exceptional photographs. And one of the guys that was on the trip, a guy called Belton, Mac Murray, he's a Texan. There's a picture of Belton and I posted it on my Instagram and I tagged, actually on Insta story and I tagged Fireball Whiskey into it. And they responded to the <laughs> Instagram message and they responded like this. They said, nice, oh, good looking, good looking picture or something like that. And the bloke isn't too bad looking either. And my initial, my my initial reaction was, is it a guy or a girl running this Instagram account? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, nah, it was just an epic trip. And, you know, Cam is Cam, but he just, he's so phenomenally talented. And um, he keeps telling me, he's like, oh, I'm getting out of the video game. I'm getting out of the video game. I was like, dude, you are just, he just, uh, I don't know. We'll keep them in the video game. I got a couple of projects that I want to do in New Zealand. Thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. I um, am taking minimal but credit for his movie night. On our podcast, I said to him, New Zealand needs a hunting movie night. We've got the Mountain Film Festival. Just look at the States, what mountain ops are doing, um, what they're doing in Oregon and things like that. You know, there's big place for hunting videos. I'm one of these people that, you know, lives in the city, sits down when I get a spare half hour, hour, and just binges on hunting films. Um, there's, a, there's a space for it. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I knew he had two. Did you attend it? Oh, mate, his, his notice needed some work. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> yeah. It's Cam Henderson. He's like, <laughs> we'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Everyone show up tomorrow. <laughs> no, I was, I was so jealous. I, had a, had a, I made up for it, though. So I had a wedding on the on the Friday and had a had a great time on the Thursday, Friday. And then on the Saturday went hunting the day before he had the film festival and we had success. And turns out, you know, week before lockdown, had a full freezer of red deer hind. So it worked out all right. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so while we're on on the topic of dream time, um you bring up the topic of trophy and yeah. like you said, a place where possibly no white man had ever been before and you found some art. And, and I was talking with Toby Hines. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Hunt Mountains. He's from Australia, Hunter Valley. Yeah. And, he, and he's had a similar excursion around um, the Northern Territory finding paintings. What is it like to stumble across something so sacred and telling an amazing story, which is what you're in the business of, telling stories. Yeah, so you know what what really helped is I had a very clear vision of like exactly what I wanted out of this film. So if you if you watch Dreamtime, the only narrative that I actually voiced over 
here back in the States is the opening narrative. Mm -hmm. Every single other voiceover that you hear me do was on the trip, was on the walkabout. Mm -hmm. So I was in a frame of mind that was just like, I knew what I was looking for. I knew what the purpose of me doing what I, what I wanted. And I wanted an adventure. Like I'm a young hunter, man. I'm a nascent hunter and I'm learning and I want to explore what that means to me because it's so important to, to be able to show that to my boys, right? That's the whole reason why we, I created blood origins the way that I did is that I come from a family steeped in hunting heritage. I never got to hunt. Now I get to hunt. And so I need to figure out what that means and so that I can give it to my boys. Mm. And so this trip in the Northern Territory, one, my mother's Australian. Don't hold that against me, okay? I know it's <laughs> the dark side of my family. I have to live with it all the time. And um, I've got a termite that just came in. I may have to do something. Um, and... Uh, and so I really wanted to explore it, right? And so we, I talked to Harry and I talked to Blair and I said, you know, what is about uh, your place? Is there places that you've never been? He was like, oh, yeah, there's tons of places. So we just picked the, the, the river that we wanted to and we just headed right up it. And, you know, there were just things that we wanted to explore. We were exploring. And that was the yeah. point that, of that walkabout. We just went to explore. And we just so happened to have a 416 Rigby with us. And we were looking for a big buffalo at the same time. And that was it. It wasn't, if you watched, again, everything is, and, and you know this from Blood Origins, we're, we are probably the most authentic organization, brand, platform out there right now in that we don't fake things, right? And you, we speak from the heart. And when you hear that exchange between Harry, Blair, and myself before I kill that buffalo, mm -hmm. he's like, it's not going to score well. And I say, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like, and that wasn't redone. That wasn't like, okay, guys, position yourselves. That was us watching that buffalo from 300 yards away and saying, all right, let's go kill it. Mate, um, um, there's no way you can fake that. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Let's go do this. Yeah, there's no way that um, can be faked. <laughs> and so that was a trophy of an adventure, right? And that's what the whole point of the film was, is that you wouldn't, and here's the, here's the crux, right? You wouldn't go into the middle of nowhere, Australia, spend two and a half days to get there, hike back three days into the middle of nowhere and sit down under a random tree and go, hmm, okay, that was great, and head home. No. You go there for a purpose. And as hunters, that purpose is to hunt. And a part of hunting is killing. Hmm. And it's not something we need to shy away from, but it's not something that, uh, as I've had many, many discussions with people, they say, well, I love to kill. I said, Yes and no. You, you, when you pull that trigger, if I had to stop everyone in time at that one-tenth, one-hundredth of a second before that trigger breaks and I could hold you there in that moment, would you stay in that moment or would you break the trigger? Hmm. And it's because when you break that trigger, things are over. Sort of. You get the meat. Some some of us are for getting the meat and whatnot, and and some and sometimes it's not over, right? Sometimes the adventure is almost half beginning right there because then you have to move it and you have to go camp and you have to eat it, and that's what we try to portray in the film. Hmm. Um, so that's what the the whole point of Blood Origins and the project is: is that it's it's you know the industry, the hunting industry, to 
up until now, and I think everyone's turning, I think the tide is changing, up until now, everyone has focused on the kill because mm. bullets sell, guns sell, uh, broadheads sell, and they kill things more efficiently and more effectively, and that's what essentially is the industry, and that's what we've been pigeonholed into. Mm. But there's a new narrative in town, and there's a new wave of hunters that understand who they are and why they do it, and that's what's needed for us to maintain our, um, our lifestyle for our kids, your kids one day, and grandkids one day. Mm. Ooh, mate, um, one episode that I watched, and I'd just been on um, a friend's podcast, Dave Perry, who's trying his hand at, um, did you get it? Heck yeah, I got it. <laughs> no more termite. Um, he's trying his hand at hunting apparel for New Zealand. And one of his inspirations um, is Jason Hairston. And we just finished a discussion about what a, what a man and what a loss. And then I jump on your page and there he is staring down the barrel, telling the story. Mate, it brought tears to my eyes. Um, what, it just must be a, a big shame, but then also just the most amazing thing to have that story documented, like you say, so we can share with the world someone's very, very intense narrative of what it means to be a hunter and what it means to put that into two sensational brands. There we go. Um, yeah, so Jason is, is quite special to the project because he was... There's very few people in the industry who talk the talk and walk the walk is what I found in the four years that we've been going. Um, Jason said he would do X for us and he did X. Said he would do Y, he did Y. It wasn't just, oh, we love the project, sounds great, and you never hear from the person. Jason was the man and... Um, we went and interviewed him. The interview was amazing. The episode was incredible. And we dropped his episode September-ish, I think. I don't remember the exact date. If you go to Jason M. Hairston's Instagram profile right now, if you pick up your phone right now, mm. our, our Blood Origins episode is still linked in to his Instagram account. Yeah. Like you click it and it's us. And, you know, he took his life three weeks later after our episode dropped. And uh, it was the first time that it was just obviously, and I found out early that day, somebody let me know and I couldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, we've got some special ties with QU and we've got some special ties with obviously the Heston family and, yeah, it, it almost, at that time, I'll say this, at that time we didn't really know what we had. Like, we didn't realize that what we capture and who we capture and their message is now immortalizing them. They're obviously, Jason is immortalized in so many other fashions. Mm. But we have a piece of content that nobody else has of Jason who's now not with us anymore. Same with one of the, in that same season, we dropped a journey called Living Legacy. 
which is about this, these women that came together in 1943 in the height of austerity measures in World War II. And they served the soldiers going off to war and they served them this thing called the pheasant sandwich. I don't know if you've heard the story or not. Stop no. me if you have. Carry on. But so the, the story goes in 1943, these band of women came together in Aberdeen, South Dakota and said, we want to help the soldiers. We can't go off to war, so how do we help them? Well, we can feed them as they're coming through town. So Aberdeen, all the trains coming out of the West would go through Aberdeen to go to Chicago for the guys to get on the ships and go off the war. And so the, the woman decided to, to feed them. So how are they going to feed them? They don't have much food. They don't have much rations. They don't have much gas because austerity measures are in place. Everything's being directed to the war. And so the hunters of the town decided to pull their shotgun shells and pull their gas and DNR, the Department of Natural Resources, said to them, no limit on pheasants if you can send it to the kitchen. And so they sent it to the kitchen. And so the hunters became patriots, essentially. And the hunters provided the food for the pheasant sandwich. And these ladies served the soldiers. And there was one lady in particular called Miss Barney Ellis. Miss Barney Ellis was 18 at the time in 1943. And she served all these soldiers. And she found out that four of her friends were killed in World War II. And because of that fact, she enlisted herself as a nurse. And she got on the train and came through Aberdeen and got served a pheasant sandwich. Well, when we told this story, we filmed Miss Bonnie Ellis. She was 93 years old. She's still alive today. Mm. And she was in her full dress gear. She had her dog tags. Her makeup was atrocious. You know, all over the show. She was so proud. And you could see the glint in her eye. When you watch that film, you can see at the end, we asked her, like, why did you enlist? And you could see her, like, reliving that moment. She was like, all of my friends died. What else was I going to do? Mm. It was the right thing to do. Well, Miss Barney Ellis passed away uh, last November. Yeah. So, again, we've got content of Miss Barney Ellis that nobody else has. Right? I get goosebumps thinking about it because it's, that's what the project, you know, there's things that the project does that you don't really think about and the meaning behind it and the meaning that we have of these people's, the realness of them. And so that's what we strive to get. We strive to get the realness of people and what they, what hunting means to them. And mm. it's a big deal. And Jason is a huge, huge influence on us and, and what we've done. So you mentioned um, your boys there in passing passing on this way of life that you and I love so much and have come to later in life. Why go about it the way you have in terms of blood origins? Why get a wide narrative to expose them to, you know, not just your passion, your your take on things, why expand it to this this organism now that is blood origins? Oh, because I couldn't find what yeah. I was looking for, right? You sh tell me where else you can find what we do. You can't. And it's like, so I was looking for it, right? It was not just for the boys. I was searching for it. And I was watching these guys whisper to each other and here comes the deer. Mm -hmm. I was like, is the deer actually coming or is this like acting? And it, <laughs> I couldn't find what I was looking for. And so I, and you're right, you're pointing on something that 
I don't think, if you asked me four years ago, Robbie, what is Blood Origins going to morph into? What is it going to evolve into? Where we stand today, there's no way I could have told you that, right? Yeah. The fact that we've now tentacled out across the world, stories from Denmark, stories from Australia, you know, we're hopefully one day, maybe 2021, we're in New Zealand, you know, telling the heart of the culture of hunting in New Zealand from, you know, tattooed up girls that love to hunt to Joe Blow down the street, you know, kind of thing. The, the heart of the culture, the, the blue collared heart of the culture, not the famous individuals because everyone knows them. You know, they've got good stories, yes, but the heart of our culture is in the blue collared guys who and girls that do it because they love it. Hmm. And it's now turned into, I'll, I'll tell you what we've been thinking really hard about our mission statement because people ask me, and maybe this is one of your questions that you had, but people ask me, what is Blood Origins? And a lot of people have said, oh, you're just a production company. And I was like, and that hurts because <laughs> we're not a production company. We do beautiful work, but we're not a production company. We're an organization, we're a brand, we're a platform, we're a message, we're a vision, we're a purpose. We're all of that blended together. I don't know what you want to call us then, but we, our mission is very simple, and that's conveying the truth about hunting. And conveying means disseminating, conveying means telling, conveying means showing truth the truth is emotional the truth is gratifying the truth is about the meat the truth is about family the truth is about tradition the truth is about sometimes we mess up <laughs> and it's okay to say that right the truth is transparency the truth is vulnerability all the things that we've never really touched on because it's not that cool no i think it's extremely cool and that's why coming from this podcast is this the massive resonance there. You just like have run through a whole bunch of themes that have come up of late and, and, and truth has been especially one of them. Vulnerability, emotion has been, been other ones. Um, resilience and, and preparedness, food, being close to it. Um, that, yeah, man, you're, you're giving me goosebumps now, mate. <laughs> so we're gonna drop a we're gonna drop a little so we've started these little or I say we've started, we've only dropped one, but the freaking response was incredible. So we've started these talking head videos. I don't know if you saw the one I dropped on Sunday. With uh the guys you did the hunt with. Oh I did a talking head like this, right? Right. Um, yeah. Oh and yeah. I love it. Wild game versus Flamignon. Yes, yes, no, I shared that with, with another, and um, I shared it on my page. And, mate, uh, for me, that's a massive part of why I go hunting. You cannot get any closer to your food. And what you, said, what you said about venison and the value, so a little, about me, a little bit about me, I'm hugely passionate about our venison industry here, and I have this dream of, doing paddock to plate on the same place and yeah mate 
Oh, again, you keep giving me chills, brother. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, we're going to drop on on Sunday. And it's so the headlines in America right now are the food supply chain is breaking. Mm-hmm. The food supply chain is broken. The COVID-19 pandemic has broken the food chain. And I literally, this is how I started. I talk, I say that and I say, that's pretty scary. Those are some scary messages mm-hmm. for the majority of Americans. And I'm confident when I say the majority, because there's only 4% of us that are hunters. And those 4% probably have full freezers. Mm-hmm. And what does a full freezer mean in these times? Peace of mind. Yeah, I, I just think of New Zealand, we're about 5%. And then we're about 20% agriculture. And yeah, so what does that, what, what does that leave us with? Maybe 75% or probably mm-hmm. 78% of our population, again, going, Whoa. So is that the true statistic? 5% of New Zealanders only are hunters? About 250,000. So I was doing some quick maths in my head. <laughs> we're about 5 million people. That's how small we are. And yeah, about 250,000 hunters. Um, and as I said, then there's about 20% maybe of our population, and I might be overestimating that, are in agriculture. And a okay. lot of that 5% of hunters will be encompassed by that people, those people that are in agriculture. So, yeah. <laughs> but I'd argue that our, our food supply system was broken anyway. The, going back to your first one, the, the narrative around what is food was mm-hmm. broken anyway. Um, I just moved to a farm and there's vegetables that come out of the ground and there's animals both farmed and wild running around and the mountains are right there with more animals in them. Um, And I think for me, being close to your food is food. Opening a packet and seeing a bunch of words on a packet is not food. Um, (laughs) And I've... I had some pad thai for lunch and it's going through my head was this is peasant food. This is, this is rice noodles. Um, a bunch of, bunch of fun, you know, chili and, and, uh, coriander and, and lemongrass and, and things like that. Like that's, that's not food. Where's the food? The only food when there was prawns. And again, that's probably, probably peasant food. From those, Vietnam or something like that. Probably. Yeah. They're those things that are in, in the bottom of the, of the ocean that you just pick out. They got, they got, barely any brains um, <laughs> and you need and you need a massive handful of them to get a meal whereas man how many meals do you you know thinking of the ultimate like a water buffalo or a or a bison or an elk or even that that red deer that i that i got before lockdown how many meals have we got in that for the sake of one right. one life who was living in the most incredible place in the world you know we had that 100 percent at that moment up in the top of the gulch looking out over the over the um hills out to the coast and it was like sun was going down Oof, tell tell me how, how do you buy that from the supermarket <laughs> no, you don't and here's the other thing right and, and i said it in that video you know that type of that meat when you when you break it down to an economic cost is extremely expensive 
right? Yeah. In terms of you think about the guns and the binos and everything, you know, it's extensive, it's expensive meat. Um, we don't do it for, for, from an economics perspective. Um, and we give it away freely. Like we don't, it's not something that it's like, because it's so expensive, you think the paradigm is because it's so expensive, we would hold on to it. No, it's, it's the opposite. We give it away. We share it with our friends. We share it with our families. But if you go to the grocery store and you buy your filet mignons and you buy your ribeyes and you buy your lamb shanks, nobody comes home and calls up their mates and go, hey, I got some ribeyes I just bought. You want some? Nobody does that. <laughs> yeah. The most you might do is say, I've cooked up some ribeyes. Do you want to bring something else and let's share a meal? Exactly. Uh, but you better bring something valuable like a whiskey or, or some great red wine. <laughs> exactly it. That's exactly right. <laughs> no. Um, how, what's the food climate like normally and, and how have you seen it change in your area with, with going into a, you know, I, I don't know, are you, are you allowed to go to a butcher at the moment? Are, are oh, you, we don't have butchers here. No butchers. Oh, no butchers, no bakeries. That's just America, right? You, you vary those types of skilled places just don't exist. Uh, only in big metropolitan areas are they getting like fancy, right? So you'll have a fancy butcher or you have a fancy bakery, but no, we just all the meats in the supermarket essentially. And so, yeah, they're, they're getting to a point where, you know, you can only take three things of meat in the next couple of weeks. I saw out of Costco, or some of these big stores and, um, you know, the food culture, and this is going to be part of the message that we drop on Sunday in that I, I don't think I'd, I wouldn't have put any money on me saying this, but you've got to thank a millennial <laughs> because those millennials today are saving hunting because what they're interested in is the local vol movement. They're interested in understanding where their food comes from. They're really interested in understanding or wanting their meats and vegetables to be organic, antibiotic free, hormone free, all the things that hunting and venison is. Mm. And so they don't really have an issue as I am. Well, some of them obviously do, but they don't have an issue with hunting. They've got more of a central focus on things that are healthy for them. Mm. And once they understand that connection that, Oh, by procuring my own meat, this is the healthiest form that I can get meat for myself and my family. Those are the saviors of hunting right now in that, in that demographic, that, that real suburban, urban demographic um, for the food culture, from a food culture perspective. Hmm. Um, I think you can expand on that health of the food to everything that goes into the food. Um, again, shouting out to the Educated Hunter guys. Uh, they've just, um, in the process of, putting together a recipe book from hunters of wild game and foraged and fished recipes and all proceeds are going to go to a mental health charity because what do you think about when you're out there on the hill? What is the conversation you have around the campfire and what is the difference in how you feel from that? Oh, I don't want to go this time. Oh, I better go out there to why the heck did I 
think that that wasn't a good idea. Um, yeah, men- mentally, what does hunting mean to you? Because man, health-wise, it's not just this nutritious, nutrient-dense food. It's the experience, the purpose, the quality of life that goes into that food. And that's why you share it, because it's like, mate, this is amazing. <laughs> 100%. You nailed it. <laughs> agrees he's like here. what do you want me to say like, it's like okay yeah check 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 don't need to sell it to me yeah speaking to the converted mate um <laughs> i i it's funny that you've sort of come more into my life of, of recently because i i just found out um just before we went into level four what what the the skipping generation was for for me and that was um, that industry that I love, the venison industry in New Zealand, where my dad sort of went on his university holidays and high school holidays to work on a farm, was one of the key places where animals were extracted, both both for uh, wild-caught venison markets sent into Germany originally and then for live capture to put into our um, deer industry farms. And so there was no deer around. So he was a rabbit, a possum shooter, um, chuck, chucked the, the odd spinner in the creek, but... And that's why all we ever had in our household was a 22 and a single barrel shotgun. Um, you know, in New Zealand, I'm so lucky that it's not that hard to um, then pick it up again and, and talk to talk to many people. You know, you're you're from Africa, and like you say, you've got this lineage of of hunting. Yet, what's your story? Why why did you have to be a adult hunter? <laughs> Yeah, because it was taken away from me, right? It wasn't available to me. I lived in a town of eight and a half million people. So think of the, the guys that are living in downtown Sydney. Yeah. They don't have an idea of hunting. I didn't have an idea of hunting. All I had was stories from my grandfather and my father. I had trophies on the wall, but it wasn't accessible to me. Um, and even I would even argue that Australia, living in Sydney with the Hunter Valley two hours away and the Blue Mountains two hours away, hunting is accessible. Like you could just go. Well, since South Africa, it's not like, you know, the gun laws are obviously the gun laws are much stricter in Australia than they are in South Africa. Well, they would, South Africa may rival the gun laws in Australia right now. Um, but all that stuff was gone. Like the Mozambique that my grandfather experienced and my father was raised in as a teenage boy was gone. The paradise that, you know, my grandfather gave my father a, a Cape Buffalo for his 16th birthday present. Hmm. That stuff, it was gone for me. So they never really talked about hunting. They never discussed it. You, you would think we would have sat by, you know, at the foot of my grandfather's big chair, his big leather chair that he had in Mozambique, and we would, he would regale hunting stories to us. He didn't regale a single story to us. And I, I you know, I think about, like, why didn't he do it? And I think... I don't know if they made, they wouldn't have made a pack, but it was almost like the paradise that they had was gone, right? Mm. You know, destroyed by civil war. And they just were like, we can't talk about it. It hurts too much to talk about. So why would we tell these boys Hmm. about this place that they'll never see? And uh, luckily enough, I came, I got to come to America to do a PhD and I got to experience an Africa outside of Africa. Like, you know, you talk, I think New Zealand is obviously a sportsman's playground. You guys can hunt anything you want pretty much any time of the year. It's like, 
you know, it's amazing. And fish and birds, and it's just incredible. And the same thing here in America, the, the, the outdoor sportsman, outdoor paradise is here. It is here right now. Like we're living the heyday of it. And I get to live it and I get to experience it and I get to raise my boys in it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fortunate. So do you think there's some shame in it? Shame that it got, you know, that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big force that, that turned that, that culture around in Africa. But do you think it was almost shame in that it was let go or, or shame in that they, were, they had that privilege and, and now it couldn't be handed on? I don't know. No, it, it's not shame because they didn't have, they couldn't help it. Yeah. Um, it's not like, and I'll say this, they obviously those guys in the fifties and sixties had hunted and my grandfather would be the first one to tell you if he was alive, they didn't have an idea of resource management. They weren't thinking about sustainability of populations and whatnot because it was so prolific, right? The wildlife was so prolific, but no revolutions and, and wars and, that's what killed everything. That's what destroyed everything. It wasn't, it's not, it wasn't individuals like the hunters or whatnots that it wasn't like, um, the bison, right? The bison mm. getting wiped out by market hunters. That's not what happened in Africa. Africa is a symptom of its colonial past. And then just, you know, everybody just ejecting out and, Take care of yourself and it disrupting into just chaos and civil war. Yeah. I don't know if you caught up with um, NZ Hunter. They went to uh, Zimbabwe. Oh, phenomenal little film that they put out. Yeah. That was a phenomenal little film. Yeah. So if you, from your perspective, you could, if you could speak to the, um, if it pays, it stays uh, mentality for Africa. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's simple economics, right? So you have a piece of land, wherever that may be in Africa, whether that's privately owned or publicly owned or in some sort of trust, that land has to do something. It's just simple economics. So it can either do agriculture, uh, which means cattle, uh, a very low subsistence crop, um, and that is what generates some revenue or it can have wildlife and the wildlife though has to have some monetary component to it for it to stay. And that monetary component could be ecotourism. So you bring a bunch of tourists and they take a bunch of photographs and, and in some parts of Africa, that is the model for, for non-consumptive use of the resources of that area. And that I think is one of the key messages that as hunters, we tend to forget. We tend to you know, beat our chest and say that hunting is the be all and end all of saving African wildlife. Let's just stick with African wildlife for now. But in fact, it's just a tool in the toolbox for the conservation of wildlife in Africa. In certain places, hunting is the only tool. In some places, ecotourism is the only tool. But both of them provide a value to the animal, i.e., if that animal is there, there is value. If the animal is not there, there is no value. 
and that that value then gets translated into jobs for the locals it's translated into food for the locals it's translated into medical access education access all sorts of different values a lot of people think it's just cash in hand as a value there's all sorts of values that go with it and so in a hunting type scenario it pays it stays well rich hunters coming in to pay to hunt that animal means that you want that animal to be around more you want more of those animals and i think that's the paradigm that a lot of uh anti-hunters not so much non-hunters that they it's a difficult thing to understand they they think that we go into places and we just rape and pillage right we just kill everything that we possibly can see well that doesn't make any sense right it's an economic asset that you want to grow so you don't want to make it an unsustainable model you want to make it a sustainable if not increasing model and so that's where the pay if it pays it stays uh almost you know earns its keep essentially hmm. and then i guess like you said the the low subsistence crop the small scale uh cattle they're dependent on food and if they're being invaded by whoever or whatever then it loses its value very quickly because it's taking away taking away from the value to the owner and, and maybe the small community so um that's where a balance a balance of of ecosystem becomes challenging and especially as populations grow and, and they need like you say for schooling for feed for medical care for all of that they need that value of the uh, farming system they need that crop that meat to be as good as it possibly can and feed as many people and if they're losing out then its value drops and that's where i guess from the kiwi perspective and, and probably the aussie perspective we can sort of draw parallels in that the value in our countries is uh, placed on our natural and um uh original flora and fauna mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and our introduced species take away from that uh, value. the same the same for africa their their value is in in the livestock the meat the the crops and anytime that's taking away then the value drops it becomes you know and we, and we hate using this word in new zealand we want to use game animals resources but they they become pests very quickly if they're not managed and mm. a bit like but like ecotourism and hunting they need managed resources that's, that's well i'll just say this i think the lion example that you uh, the, the the cattle and subsistence example you give is a, is a good one but let's expound a little bit right so if there was no hunting in a place mm. and lions came in and took out a bunch of cattle that animal, the lion, has no value. It actually is decreasing the value of, of the cattle, right? So they're going to indiscriminately kill that lion because it is of detriment to their livelihoods, mm. to their sustaining um, product that is their cattle that would give them blood, that would give them milk, that would give them meat that they could trade and sell. But if there was a hunting outfit in the place they would understand that that lion 
is worth 10 times what they have in the cattle mm. and that they would be willing to sacrifice two or three head of cattle to a lion because they know by keeping the lion, it actually pays more than if the hunting outfit wasn't there and the lions weren't there. Hmm. So that is the, that's the, that's the thing. And I think that's the difference between Kiwi and Aussie and Africa is that the, the Africa, the wildlife itself has value, mm -hmm. but it has to be shown what that value is, whether it's through ecotourism or hunting, no African in the middle of the bush is interested in preserving the biodiversity. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a farce. They're interested in living. Yes. They're interested in eating and living. And if a lion is taking out the stuff that's going to not allow them to live, they're taking out the lion. Hmm. So then you put up bison in market hunting and yeah. there's uh, bighorn sheep being reintroduced to Texas and even the bighorn sheep themselves, um, elk and all that. What's, what do you, you sort of love about Americans game management? You know, we, we kind of look at it and hear dribs and drabs and thankfully people like Joe Rogan and, and media uh -huh. are, are uh -huh. telling that story around, around the world and, and we're sort of going, Oh, that's a really interesting model. Um, what are you seeing living there? Well, it's, you know, if you, there's only two places in the world in which wildlife is absolutely flourishing. Mm -hmm. South Africa, 500,000 head of wildlife in the 70s to 22 to 26 million head of wildlife today. A very unique model in which they took agricultural lands and rewilded them because they saw the economic value from a hunting perspective. The second place in the world where animals and wildlife are flourishing is the United States of America due to the North American wildlife management model. And what that model allows is a state-driven, state-centric management of wildlife that is based on science and is based on the utilization of that animal. And by implementing certain federal regulations by which money gets paid in by excise taxes on guns and the Pittman Robertson Act and for fishing the Dingle Johnson Act. All of a sudden you've got this model in which wildlife is managed, hunting is a part of that management, all of the activities tied to hunting pay money that forms back into the states to be able to manage the wildlife better restore the places that hey stop scratching <laughs> i'm talking right now um that allow the the places to be managed habitat to be managed more places to be bought gives us better wildlife better utilization more money and so that's how it's supposed to work but what if one of the tiers hunters starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller. We're at 4% today. We were at 6% 10 years ago. What if when we get to 2%, that money 
that starts getting pushed in is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So you can't manage it anymore. You can't utilize it as much. It's a pretty scary little spiral. Mm. But as I said, it's a, it's a sportsman's paradise. And I think with education, um, obviously all of our law enforcement in place, you know, poaching is, is, is still there, but it's not poaching like market hunting. Um, it'll be very interesting if America ever switches, if America ever makes venison legal mm. to sell here. Because that's the, the only reason venison is illegal here because of the potential catastrophic, you know, rednecks poaching like crazy essentially and wiping things out for the sake of our industry i hope hope not <laughs> well you've got the model already so does europe you know they all do it england it's working um but a lot of that is not like public land right so it's yeah. a different model when it's a public land and the resources everyone's kind of feel it's super complicated so how do you feel you know obviously you've done a little bit of worldwide hunting yourself how do you feel about um and like with this COVID 19 thing our tourism industry is shot i think you had shannon from uh down near where i'm from um no it's sean sean and rachel rachel sorry yes rachel sorry rachel yeah from from leithland um yeah yeah, how do you feel the hunting tourism? How how do you, how do we create this value? Keep the keep the money for management turning, and where's the balance between outfitting, guiding, public, do it yourself? From your perspective, I think everyone's allowed to hunt how they like to hunt. Mm. You can go DIY, you can hunt public, you can go with an outfitter. Everyone has this different desire of what they're searching for. Okay. Uh, I think the COVID-19 situation is going to hurt a, a significant amount of outfitters. The small mom and pops are not going to be around anymore. Mm. Not going to be able to stay open. Uh, the bigger the bigger outfits are going to be able to take the hit, going to be able to take this year off, and uh, they'll come roaring back next year. I think there's a lot of resilience in our hunting community. I think everyone is banding together. I think that uh, 2021 is going to be, a, as, um, as Harry said, it's going to be a ripper season because mm. everything, we've had a rest. And we all need a rest. We all need a recalibration. We all need a, re a recentering of who we are. And so does Mother Nature. And yeah, they're, they're, it's going to be a fantastic 2021. And I think a lot of the outfitters are going to have good seasons. Um, and they're going to find their way. And, and this is maybe a lesson learned in that, okay, what do we, how do we make sure that we're covered in a situation like this in the future? Mm. Um, I don't know if that answered your question or not. 
No, I, I think it does because that, that's that's what I think is sort of cannibalizing the hunting industry a little bit is the hate on somebody's ideal of what a hunt is. We're, we're oh, like, no, that's, what that's, you say, that's 4, 4% of the states? We're not, not. That, that, we're not that very many. Um, no, we need to look, be together. Sport, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are a long-range hunter, if you are a trad bow hunter, if you're a compound bow hunter, if you're a rifle hunter, a pistol hunter, a knife hunter, you hunt with outfits, you hunt by yourself, you hunt public land, doesn't matter because there's one common denominator of the 10 things I just said. We're all hunters. And we better start acting like hunters and acting like we're one community and stop this rubbish infighting. Um, because what are we doing? <laughs> we're doing the job of the antis for them. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... um, it, 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 As someone new, it, it's kind of like... I love the the conversation, the learning, the the talking, the difference of a, of opinion, and then to go on a forum and see somebody with a beaming smile get ripped to shreds because it doesn't fit somebody else's narrative of hunting just breaks my heart and, and turns me off off the forum. I'm like, what are, what are, what are we doing exactly? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, I need to just need one non-hunter to to read that thread. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you've, you've, you've backtracked us 10 steps, 15 steps. <laughs> but hey, everyone has their own opinion, I guess, you know. Mm. Like, well, you know what they say about opinions, right? We've all got one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> assholes, we all have one. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> um, like you say, four years on, do you have a big learning or a, a big, like, Thing that keeps coming about from Blood Origins? Um, I think we're constantly evolving. <clears throat> I think we're constantly trying to push the envelope. So what you'll start seeing, um, like the next episode we drop, it's going to be more, you're going to get to know the individual more like this Friday. I'm going to start dropping content for an episode that's only dropping the following Saturday. Mm -hmm. And so before we used to just drop a picture, a picture, a trailer, a picture, the episode. Now you're going to see a bunch of the stuff that I leave on the cutting room floor. You're going to get to know the individual. Um, hopefully I can incorporate a little bit of this Instagram live and get them on there so somebody can watch them and they can hear me talk to them and get to you know see the relationship that i have with that individual learn a little bit about him and then go into the rest of the trailer and the episode um so that's you know that part is evolving we're getting better i'm getting better at, at creating narratives around these individuals and then we're starting to explore more avenues for getting content out to people that like what we do. So for instance, uh, I'll use Jim Shockey as an example. Jim mm. Shockey's episode was seven minutes, eight minutes. We interviewed Jim for 55 minutes. So we're going to push out probably on YouTube uh, a new series called the blood origins, blood origins, the uncut interviews. And so you're going to get all 55 minutes of Jim Shockey. We'll have mm. two camera angles. We're not going to put the cinematography to it. We're not going to put the music to it. It's just going to be him talking. And 
I think Joe Rogan has proven that if you're interested, you'll sit and watch it. Uh, so, I'm interested, mate. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we've got the Jim Shockies of the world and we've got the unknowns of the world that may be 26 minutes. Mm. Um, but you'll get their entire story. You'll get their entire episode that we cut um, with a little bit of audio engineering, uh, obviously. Uh, mm. So that's one avenue. The Talking Heads is another avenue. Um, we've, got a, we've got a lot of content in the bank that nobody's ever seen. So we're going to just keep doing what we do um and in the next two or three months we're actually making a big move um and i don't know if i've told anybody this actually so you may be premiering this um <laughs> next two to three months we're going to announce that blood origins is changing awesome and we're changing to being a a 501c3 nonprofit. Wow. And the reason we're doing that is so that we can change the game once again uh, for storytelling around who we are as hunters. And that means showing our conservation efforts, generating funding for conservation efforts. If there's a, a cool kick-ass conservation project that we find anywhere on the globe, we want to find the project, find the funders, execute the project, show the people who we, who we raised the money from, where their money went, super transparent, and uh, then storytell around that project, storytell around that effort. And that's what's missing, right? You give money all the time. I give money all the time. I don't know what it does. Well, this, this society that we live in right now is all about FOMO, mm. and it's all about being in real time, real interaction. And so that's what we want to give people. We want people to wake up in the morning and open up their phone and go, ooh, the little circle is around Blood Origins. Where are they today? Oh, I'm in Tanzania. Oh, we're, we're, looking at, we're looking at poachers in Tanzania. Okay. Oh, tomorrow, where are we today? Oh, we're looking at uh, you know, a Punjab Uriel in Pakistan that's getting translocated. That kind of stuff. Mean. Nothing, it's, just small stuff, just small stuff. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say that, I guess that answers my, my question. Um, have you found what you were looking for? Is it like a hunt and you continually find more? And just right there, you've, you've found more. You've found <laughs> a new place to go, a new adventure. <laughs> yeah, and that's what we want. We don't, um, you know, we're a small project right now, a small platform with big dreams and this projects this you know you're talking to me and i guess i'm the the vision behind the project but this project's not about me hmm. otherwise you know this project's about you and our community and just telling that story right and just taking you out of it right taking hmm. the self out of it and let's be about us be called Robbie Robbie Kroger instead, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So then uh, you mentioned YouTube. There's the website. There's Instagram. Is there any other platforms that Blood Origins is on? Hunters Journal, of course. <laughs> yeah, a couple of Hunters Journals. Uh, we're on a, an app in America called Waypoint TV. We're on an app in America called Mossy Oak Go. Um, we are on Amazon Prime for those people who get Amazon Prime into their living rooms. And season four is loading as we speak. Um, so you can sit in your bed and watch Blood Origins. 
Um, yeah, and we've got articles in different places. We've got a film, a couple, we've got one film, one of our films is on Modern Huntsman's website. We've got a couple of our films on the New Field Ethos Journal's website. Um, yeah, we're just trying to get our stuff in as many places as we possibly can. Um, we just want our name known, right? We just, we don't want 300,000 people following us on Instagram. We just want people to, and this is what I think is the most humbling thing about it is that when I walk around a convention or a conference or, you know, any, any sort of expo, nobody bothers me because nobody knows me. And then if I start a conversation and they're like, Oh, what do you do? Hmm. I go, Oh, I run, I, you know, I run blood origins. They're like, Oh, we know blood origins. And that's the, the most humbling thing. When somebody that you just randomly meet says, Oh, I've seen your stuff. I know blood origins and we've done our job essentially. So, and with, you know, obviously doing podcasts with people like you, you know, gets the message out to millions and millions and millions of people. <laughs> He's hoping. He's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day we'll be Joe Rogan and then have that. There we go. Three hours, Jim Shockey. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> awesome, mate. So, my closing question uh, is similar to to what I was saying about Blood Origins, but for you, what is something that, from an individual level? always shows up in your life and doesn't do you wrong when, when things go right it's kind of like there's that thing again um and maybe it is what you spoke about with truth but uh yeah what, what sort of a, a quote or a or a saying or, or a way of living that keeps showing up for you so i have a uh, i have a quote that's in my business signature mm -hmm. and it's by a guy called nelson mandela oh no <laughs> And his, one of his quotes that I, it's almost like a life quote says, says this, everything is impossible until it gets done. Boom. That's, uh, but, yeah, I love that. That's why I interview people here to show them that it can be done. Ah, I love that. Thank you so much, Robbie. Thank you so much for allocating some of your time. Um, in the, dark, in the dark, chasing termites. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I look forward to a, a little photo of Blood Origins tomorrow, possibly of, of the aftermath of, of termites. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Legend, man. Thank I'll you, Ryan. I'll let you have a good night's you. sleep. Thank you so much. Cheers, brother. I'll stop there. <laughs> How good's that? Episode 140 delivers with the purpose of this podcast giving us examples of what is possible because when it's done, you know it's possible. And if it's currently impossible, why can't you at least try? Because who knows where you end up. Might be like Robbie and four years on, you've created this massive storytelling platform that just delivers a powerful, powerful message and brings together a massive tribe and community. Um, I think it's wonderful and I'm so stoked that Robbie thought it was um, worth as well to spend a little bit of time with us and share, again, the message of Blood Origins with a Kiwi audience. Uh, where hunting is truly in our blood. We have a massive heritage, and that's why we've had the likes of Gwyn Thurlow and, and Tim Watson on to talk about the Heritage Trust. 
exciting, exciting times as we come out of this COVID uh, experience. It's not over, of course. It's not going to be back to normal. It's going to be a new normal. But we've all had that time to think and sit tight about our values, about what is important about hunting, why we're so upset that it's been restricted, and also maybe motivating us to get out there and protect what it is that we have it so lucky with here in New Zealand. So, yeah, awesome to spend time with Robbie and have a conversation with such a great man. Um, yeah, truly influenced by some spectacular people, and I'd urge you to go and check out their website, their YouTube page, and Instagram, and you yeah, keep following along um, what's going to be massive from the guys at Blood Origins. Of course, make sure you check out the links to Robbie's stuff, to Modern Pirate, get 10% off your purchase. Uh, go and get yourself one of the Stag Raw hats before we close that ordering process up. And of course, check out Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-0.P-R-U-V-I-T-N-O-W.com to get your hands on exogenous ketones, get yourself into ketosis in under half an hour. Powerful, powerful tool for out on the hill, playing sport, or just to assist with a ketogenic lifestyle. There's also the Keto Reboot, if you want to do a little bit of assisted fasting. Also, there's the Keto Broths and Keto Teas, the Signal OS that come with the Keto Reboot, and the Keto Protein, all available, as well as MCT Oil and Keto Creamer to help assist that ketogenic lifestyle. Their website, again, as always, is waikt0.puvitnow.com, and it's in the show notes with everyone else's links. Thanks so much for listening. Hard to believe we're 140 episodes deep now. Um, means the world, your audience, um, you've been fantastic. The feedback's been fantastic. The connection's been awesome. And thanks to all those that have left a rating or a review on your podcast platform. means the world. means that more and more people are hearing this. Um, we're connecting with more and more people, inspiring more and more people. Uh, Greg Emerson, uh, Dave Perry, it's wicked to see those guys branch out and start their own podcast super proud super privileged to be part of their shows and um yeah loving this journey and thanks for coming along and being part of it cheers